Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And this week or month, or let's just go with episode, this episode is going to be all about mental health and mental health first aid and ways to take care of your mental health and ways to help your community and your friends take care of their mental health. And I think you'll like it. But first, this podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show on the network. Listening to Dissident Island Radio. Live every first and third Friday of the month at 9 p.m. GMT. Check out www.dissidentisland.org for downloads and more. Okay, uh, with me today is Smokey. Smokey, could you introduce yourself with your, your name, your pronouns, and I guess uh, a little bit about your background about mental health stuff? Sure. Uh, I'm Smokey. I live and work in New York City. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, for 23 years, I have been working uh, with people managing uh, serious mental illness uh, in an intentional community. I have a degree in psychology. I have taught psychology at the university level. I've been doing social work for a long time, but I've been an anarchist longer. <laughs> um, so, so the reason I want to have you on is I want to talk about mental health first aid or I don't know if that's the way it normally gets expressed, but that's the way I see it in my head. Like, how are, I guess it's a big question, but I'm, I'm interested in exploring ways that we can, as bad things happen that we experience, like some of the pre best practices we can do in order to not have that cause lasting mental harm to us, um, which is a big question, but maybe that's my first question anyway. I mean, the, the truth is bad things will happen to us. It's mm -hmm. part of living in the world. And if you are a person that is heavily engaged in the world, uh, meaning, you know, you're involved in politics or activism, or even just curious about the world, you'll probably be exposed uh, on a more regular basis to things that are bad that can traumatize us. Uh, but even if you're not involved in any of those things, you're going to go through life and have really difficult things happen to you. Now, the good news is that's always been the case for people. <laughs> We've always done this. Uh, and the good news is we actually know a lot about what goes into resilience. So how do you bounce back quickly and mm -hmm. hopefully thrive after these experiences. I think that is an area that's only now being really examined in depth, but we have lots of stories and some research to show that actually when bad things happen to us, there is a, a approach mm -hmm. that actually can help catalyst really impressive strengths and move, change our life uh, in a really positive direction. We also know that for most people, they have enough reserve of resiliency that, uh, that they, and they can draw upon other resiliency that they're mm -hmm. uh, not chronically affected uh, by it. However, and I would argue how our society is kind of structured, we're seeing more and more people 
uh, that are suffering from very serious chronic effects of what you said, bad things happening, or what is often said, traumatic things. But it's not just traumatic things that cause chronic uh, problems for us. Uh, but that is the most kind of common understanding. So, so while most people with most events will not have a chronic problem and you can actually uh, really use those problems, those, I'm sorry, those uh, events, let's, let's call them traumatic events, mm-hmm. those traumatic events to really actually improve your thriving, improve your life and your relationship to others in the world. The fact is, currently, it's an ever-growing uh, number of people that are having chronic problems. Uh, and that's because of the system. Yeah, there's this, like, um, there was an essay a while ago about it. I don't remember it very well, but it's called We Are Also Very Anxious. And it it was claiming that anxiety is one of the general affects of society today because of kind of what you're talking about, about systems that set us up to be anxious all the time and handle things in I, I think what most people don't understand is it is consciously in the sense that it it's not that necessarily it's the desire to have the end goal of people being anxious mm-hmm. and people being traumatized but it is conscious in that we know this will be the collateral outcome of how we set up these systems. And that, yeah. that I think, is fairly unique uh, and, and really kind of pernicious. What are some of the systems that are setting us up to be anxious or traumatized? Well, I'm going to reverse it a little bit, okay. Margaret. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about what are the things we need to bounce back or have what is being called resilience. And then you and I can explore how our different systems actually make us being able to access that much more difficult. Okay. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. The hallmark of resiliency, ironically, is that it's not individual. Okay. Uh, In fact, if you look at the research There are very few, there's going to be a couple, there's going to be three of them, Mm -hmm. but very few qualities of an individual's psychology or makeup that is a high predictor of resiliency. Okay. And these three are kind of, kind of vague in a, in a sense. They're not, they're not terribly dramatic uh, in a sense. One is people that tend to score higher on appreciation of humor tends to be a moderate predictor of resiliency. I like that one. You don't have to be funny yourself, but you can appreciate humor. Seems to be a, and this is tends to be a cross cultural thing. It's pretty low. There are plenty of people that, that score very low on that, that also have resiliency. That's the other thing I'll say, that these three personality traits are actually low predictors of resiliency. Compared to the, the community ones people. that you're going to talk about. Okay, so one is an appreciation of humor seems to be one. Uh, so these are intrinsic things that, you know, maybe we got from our family, but but we hold them in ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. The, the second one is usually kind of put down as education and there tends to be a reverse bell curve (laughs) if you've had very very low education Mm -hmm. you tend to be more resilient if you've had extreme professionalization you know being a doctor being a lawyer, well, not even being a lawyer because that's only, but many, many years of schooling, mm-hmm. PhD, things like that. It's not what you study. There, there, there's something it's about not you studied. Yeah, 
or that you didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, they're, they're almost equal uh, predictors of who gets uh, traumatized. And then the the last one is kind of a sense of self and that it's not an ego strength as we kind of understand it, but it is an understanding of your self. The people that take these surveys that they score fairly high on. So I give you a survey and say, what do you think about Smokey on these different attributes? You give me a survey and say, Smokey, how would you rate yourself on these different attributes? Okay. Uh, so it's, it's suggesting that I have some self-reflexivity about what my strengths and weaknesses are. I can only know that because they're married by these. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not about you rating yourself high that makes you resilient. It's you rating yourself accurately accurately as how other people see you. And again, I want to stress that these are fairly low predictors. Now Mm -hmm. you'll read a million books, uh, kind of pop, like here are the, these other ones, but when you actually look at the research, it's not, you know, it's not that great. So those, mm-hmm. however, the ones that are big are things like uh, robustness of a social network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, how many relations, and then even more, if you go into depth, what are those relationships in quantity does actually create a certain level of quality, interestingly, especially okay. around things called micro-social interactions, okay. which are these interactions that we don't even think of as relationships, uh, maybe with the store person. It's how many of these we have. And huh. then certain in-depth, having that combined with a ring of kind of meaningful relationships and meaningful meaning, not necessarily – who is most important to me, but how I share and, and share my emotions and my thoughts and things like that. Uh, so there's a lot on that. That, that is probably the strongest predictor okay. of resilience. Another big uh, predictor of resilience is uh, access to diversity in our social networks so having huh. um, uh-huh. um, diverse individuals tend to give us more uh, resiliency. And having time, mm-hmm. processing time, also gives us more uh, our high predictors of resiliency. The, the largest is a sense of belonging. Okay. So that trauma events that affect our sense of belonging, and this is why children who have very limited opportunities to feel a sense of belonging, which are almost always completely limited, especially for very young children, to the family, Mm -hmm. if that is cut off due to the trauma or it's already dysfunctional and has nothing to do with the trauma – that sense of belonging, that lack of sense of belonging makes it very difficult to maintain uh, resilience. So, okay. so if those are the things that in a nutshell, we're going to be talking about later about how do we improve these and how do we maximize and how do we leverage these for mental health first aid, we can see how things like the internet, social media, capitalism, mm-hmm you know, kind of nation state building, uh, especially as we understand it today, all these kind of things erode a lot of those things that we would want to see in building resilient people. Right. And, uh, you know, making it more difficult to access those things that we would need. No, that's this. Okay. Yeah. That makes it obvious that the answer to my question of um, how does it, what are the systems that deny us resiliency are just all of this. Yeah. Cause we're like, most people don't have, there's that really depressing statistic or the series of statistics about the number of friends that adults have in our society mm-hmm. and how it keeps going down every couple of decades. Like yep. adults just have fewer and fewer friends and that. The number, you know, the number is the same for children though, too. Is also going down. So what you're saying? Yes. They have more uh-huh. than adults. But compared to 
earlier times they have less. So it, it, the, the trend is not as steep as a trend line, mm-hmm. but, but it is still going down. And more importantly, there was a big change with children at one point, and I'm not sure when it historically happened, but the number of people they interacted with was much more diverse around age. Uh, oh, than interesting. Now. So they had access to more diversity. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about access to diversity, I assume that's diversity in like a lot of different axes, right? I assume that's diversity around like people's like cultural backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, age, uh, mm-hmm. like, but even like modes of thought. And, and, and yeah. Well, and that's yeah. is my guess is that if you're around more people, you have more of an understanding that like reality is complicated and like different people see things in different ways. And so therefore you have a, maybe a less rigid idea of what should happen. So then if something happens outside of that, you're more able to cope or is this does like, cause I look at each of these things and I can say why I assume they affect resiliency, but obviously that's not what you're presenting. You're not presenting how they affect resiliency merely that they seem to. Yeah, and I don't know if we know exactly how they affect, and we don't know how they, the effect of them together, you know, Mm -hmm. social science is still pretty primitive, Mm -hmm. so they, they, they need to look at single variables often, but, you know, we know with chemistry and biology and ecology, which I think are a little more sophisticated in physics, which is Mm -hmm. more sophisticated. The real interesting stuff is in the combinations. Yeah. Okay. So what happens when you have, you know, diversity, but also this diverse and robust social network, is that really an addition or is that a multiplication moment for resiliency? Right. And then how does that affect, like if that comes at the expense of, well, it probably wouldn't, but if it came at the expense of processing time or something. Um, exactly. Or like, you know, okay, I could see how it would balance with education and that like, I think for a lot of people, the access to diversity that they encounter first is like going off to college, right? And like meeting mm. people from like different parts of the world or whatever. Oh, I forgot to mention one other one, but mm-hmm. it is meaning. Meaning is very uh, important. People that score high or report mm-hmm. meaning deep kind of core meanings also ha- tend to have higher resiliency that being said they and don't don't ever confuse resiliency with like happiness or contentment <laughs> or something like that uh it uh-huh. just means that you, the dysfunction or how far you're knocked off track due to trauma. And mm-hmm. we're, we're using trauma in the largest sense of the word. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how long it takes you to get back on track or whether you can even get back on track uh, to where you were uh, prior to the event uh, is, is what we're talking about. So it's not, this is not a, a guide to, happiness or living a fulfilled life it's just a guide to avoid the damage but if we made one that was a specifically a how to have a happy life i feel like we could sell it and then have a lot of money (laughs) you consider one would have to argue whether that's even desirable to have a happy life that's a whole philosophical thing (laughs) well beyond my pay grade or my expertise yeah every now and then i have this moment where I realize I'm in this very melancholy mood and I'm getting kind of happy about it. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty comfortable with this. This is a nice spot for me. Um, I mean, I also like happiness too, but you know. Okay, so so this certainly implies that the the way forward for anyone who's attempting to build resiliency, the, the sort of holistic solution is building community. Like in terms of, as bad stuff happens. Is that a community that's mm-hmm. in community, not being just groups. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can, uh, I think, you know, the internet has become an expert at creating groups. There, there, there are lots of groups, 
but community or communitas or the sense of belonging mm-hmm. is more than just a shared interest and a shared knowledge that there's other like-minded people. You'll hear the internet was great for like-minded people to get together, but the early internet was really about people that were sharing and creating meaning uh-huh. uh, together. And I think that was very powerful uh, that, you know, that seems harder to access on today's internet. And certainly the large social media platforms are consciously designed to achieve certain modes of experience, which do not lend themselves to that. Right. Because it's like the, I don't know the word. Capitalism. Like, yeah. I mean, we're hiding the ball. The ball yeah. is capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and how totally. they've decided yeah. to go with an advertising model as opposed to any other model. Yeah. And that requires attention. Yeah. Because it seems like when you talk about a robust social network, I mean, you know, theoretically social network, like social networks, you know, Twitter calls itself a social network, right? Um, and is there anything in the micro social interactions that one has online? Is there value in that? Or do you think that the overall, um, I mean, okay, because even like looking I at, there, ahead, I yeah. think there has to be value. I think, yeah, uh, they did, the, I was reading just today, actually about research and it was in England with this one hospital decided to send postcards mm-hmm. to people who had been hospitalized for suicidal attempts. Okay. Uh, most of them ended up in the mental health thing. Some of them didn't cause they, they left beyond, you know, against medical advice or whatever. But mm-hmm. anyone that came in presenting with that a month and then three months later, mm-hmm. they sent another postcard just saying, you know, we're all thinking about you. We're hoping you're all you're doing all right. Mm-hmm. You know, we have faith in you, that kind of thing like that, right? Nice postcard, yeah. purposely chosen to have a nice scene, sent it out. And they followed up. And they found a significant reduction in further uh, attempts, rehospitalizations of these people. So that's a very, yeah, you know, there's no, it's a one-way communication. Yeah. It's not person to person. And it had some impact on, I would guess one could argue, the resiliency of those people from giving in to suicidal ideation, right? Yeah. Uh, so... I think this to say that, you know, we'd be unplugging the internet, you know, uh, that kind of Luddite approach mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. It's, right. There is a value to answer your question to the, yeah. the internet's micro social interactions. It's just, we, it, it's complicated uh, because you can't just have micro social interactions. Right. Uh, unfortunately, but you need them. Yeah. No, that that's really interesting to me because yeah, so there's there is a lot of value that is coming from these things, but then the overall effect is this like like for example, even like access to diversity, right? In a lot of ways, theoretically, the internet gives you access to like everything, um, but then instead, it's really designed to create echo chambers in the way that the algorithms and stuff feed people information. And echo chambers of thought is the opposite of diversity, even if the echo chamber of thought is like about diversity yeah i mean it's set up again almost as if it were to kind of naturally organically grow Mm -hmm. we would probably have just as chaotic and and people would still just be as angry at the internet but it probably would develop more resilience in people okay uh because it wouldn't be stunted by this need to attract attention the easiest way to do that is through outrage the easiest way to do that is quickly and fast so it takes care of your processing time yeah Uh, and uh, relative anonymity is the coin of these kind of things you know that's why bots and things like that you know they're they're not even humans right you know they're just um so all these kind of things 
stunt and deform what could potentially be useful. Uh, not a silver bullet, and certainly not necessary to develop resiliency. Uh, mm-hmm. Strong resiliency. You don't need the internet to do that. Um, and there are certain <laughs> using the internet, you know, there's going to be certain serious limitations because of the design, how it's designed. Okay. Well, so hear me out. If the internet really started coming in latter half of the 20th century, that kind of lines up to when cloaks went out of style. <laughs> Absolutely. That's our big problem. And they yeah. haven't done any research on cloak and resiliency yet. <laughs> I feel that everyone who wears a cloak either has a sense of belonging or a distinct lack of a sense of belonging. <laughs> um, probably start off with the lack of sense of belonging, but you end up with a sense of belonging. So, okay, okay. So I want to say that there's two things that people confuse and they're very important. One is how to prevent chronic effects from traumatic experiences. Okay. And then one is how to take care of if you already have or you you develop a chronic effect of traumatic experiences. Nothing yeah. in the psychology literature, sociology literature, anthropology literature obviously keeps you from having traumatic experiences. Right. <laughs> so one is how to prevent it from becoming chronic. Mm-hmm. And one is how to deal with chronic. Uh, and they're not the same. They're, they're quite, okay. quite different. So, you know, if you already have a chronic traumatic response of some sort, mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress syndrome or any of the other related phenomena, you will approach that quite differently than building resilience, mm-hmm. which doesn't protect you from having trauma, a traumatic experience. It just allows you to frame it, understand it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're lucky, thrive and grow from it, but at worst, get you back on track uh, and not, not having any chronic problems. Okay. So it seems like there's three things. There's the holistic building a stronger base of having a community, being more resilient in general. And then there's the like direct first aid to crisis and trauma. And then there's the long-term care for uh, yeah. the impacts of trauma. Okay. So if, if so, we've talked a bit about the holistic part of it. You want to talk about the, the crisis, the, the thing to do in the immediate sense as yeah, it's I mean, happening or whatever? For yourself or for somebody else? Let's start with self. So self is go out, connect to your social network as much as you can, which is the opposite of what your mind and body is telling you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think so much of the quote unquote self care movement is so wrong. It's kind of retreat uh-huh. from your so, social network. Things are too path. intense. I'm going to retreat from your social network. The research suggests that's the opposite of what you should be doing. You should connect. Now, if you find yourself in an unenviable situation where you don't have a social network, then you need to connect to professionals because mm-hmm. they they can kind of fill in for that social networks, therapists, social workers, uh, peer groups, uh, support groups, uh, things like that. They can kind of fill in for that. The problem is you don't have that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, with support groups, you might. Uh, You see this often in AA groups or other support groups. You you don't really get that in therapy or or group therapy so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, that is – The first thing. And so connect to your group. Obviously, on the other side, if you're trying to help your community, your group, you need to actively engage that person. Yeah, okay. uh, And it's going to be hard, and you need to keep engaging them. And engaging them in what? Not distractions. 
let's go to a movie, let's get mm-hmm. some ice cream, let's have a good time. And not going into the details of the traumatic ex- experience so much as reconnecting them to the belonging, our friendship, if it's okay. that, our political movement, if that, our religious movement, mm-hmm. if that, what, whatever that, whatever brought you two together, and that could be you being the community in this person, or it could be you as Margaret in this mm-hmm. person, connecting on that, doubling down on that. And often I see people do things like, okay, let's do some self-care or let's let's do the opposite of whatever the traumatic experience was. Uh, if it came from, say, oppression, mm-hmm. either vicarious or direct through political involvement, let's let's really connect on a non-political kind of way and, and ah, I see. Uh-huh. And I'm saying, no, you should double down on the, the, the politics, reminding them of right. what you're doing. And so not the trauma necessarily, not like, right. Oh, remember when you got beaten up or your, your significant other got arrested or got killed by the police, but it's that connecting to meaning and bringing the community together, showing the resiliency of the community mm-hmm. will vicariously and contagiously affect the individual. And again, it doesn't have to be a political, it could be anything. Huh? Yeah. Is that, how does that, that feel, feels a little bit like the sort of get right back on the horse kind of thing, but then like in terms of like socially rather than. Because we get right back on the horse might might imply, oh, you got beat up at a riot, so go out to the next riot. No. What you're saying instead is, so involve you in the fundraising drive for the people who are dealing with this, including you, or like in 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 allowing an expectation mm-hmm. that the individual who's been traumatized might be having a crisis of meaning. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and allowing that conversation to flow and helping that person reconnect to what they found meaningful to start with. Okay, so it's not getting right back on the horse again. Mm-hmm. It's reminding them why they love horses. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, I have another question about the the crisis first aid thing because there's something that. You know, something that you talked to me about a long time ago when I was working on a lot of like reframing, I was working on um, coping with trauma. And so maybe this actually relates instead to long-term care for trauma. And I I thought of this as a, a crisis first aid kind of thing is, I'll use a like low-key example. When I was building my cabin, I'm slightly afraid of heights, not terribly, but slightly. And so I'm on a ladder in the middle of nowhere with no one around and I'm like climbing up the ladder and I'm nailing in boards. And I found myself saying, oh, well, I only have three more boards and then I'm done. I can get off the ladder. And then I was like, no, what I need to do is say, it's actually fine. I am fine and I can do this rather than like counting down until I can get off the ladder. And so this is like a way that I've been working on trying to build resiliency. You can apply this to lots of things. Like if I'm on an airplane and I'm afraid of flying or something. I can, instead of being like uh, five more hours and then we're there, four more hours and then we're there. Instead being like, it's actually totally chill that I'm on an airplane. This is fine. Um, and basically like telling myself that to reframe that. Is this, am I off base with this? Is this tie into this? Or is this a different no, framework? It, that is what the individual mm-hmm. should be trying to do is connect the three different things keeping it simple. One is to the community, which gives them nourishment on a plane or on your roof. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, though, actually, to be honest, if you're n- nervous and you have, go back to your roof example, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is a pretty good one. Let's yeah. say that you had more than three boards. Let's say it was going to take you a couple hours yeah. to do that, but it's something you're nervous about. Mm-hmm. Connecting to somebody in your social network, whether you you have your earphones on and you're just talking 
to them before mm-hmm. or during. Uh, after doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But it, you're, that is one way. Mm-hmm. The other is connecting to what you were doing, mm-hmm. which is connecting to kind of reframing or your own internal resilience. I've done something similar like this before. Mm-hmm. This is not something that is going to needs to throw me. Uh, it is what's called pocketing the anxiety okay. where you're otherizing it being like, because it, it's coming from you too, right? Being like, Hey, you, you could fall. This plane could go down, right? That that's still you. You're generating that. You're not hearing that over to the, and yeah. you're saying, okay, but I'm going to prime, you know, uh, give primacy to this other voice in my head that is saying, you've got this, it's all right, you've done things like this before. So that's the second thing, and that's what you were doing. So you could connect to your community, you could connect to kind of a reserve mm-hmm. of resiliency, and to do that is allow that one to be pocketed, but be like, hey, I want to hear from what this core thing has to say. Mm-hmm. I want to hear from what the positive person on the front row has to say. You can <laughs> yeah, still yeah. keep chattering on. Uh, yeah. You're not arguing with that one. Yeah. You're just listening. You're you're changing your your what you're attuned to. And then the third one is if you can, you connect to the meaning. What is the meaning of building the house for you? Where are you going on your flight, and why is it important? Yeah. Okay. And that the anxiety and the fact that you're doing it, you want to give again the primacy to the importance. That yeah, I'm I'm really nervous. I'm really freaked out about this. But this thing is so important or so good for me or so healthy right. for me to do this. It must mean it's going to be really important. And I'm connecting to why it's important and focusing on that. So those are the three things that the individual can do. The the helping person or community is engagement. The second one is the same, reconnecting to the meaning. Why did you love horses in the first place? Okay, you don't have to get back yeah. on the horse, but let's not forget horses are awesome. Yeah. And horseback riding <laughs> is awesome. Yeah. And you were really good at it before you got thrown. Uh, but you know, you don't have to do it now. But let's let's just let's just share our love of horses for a moment and see how that makes you feel. And then the third one is that kind of drawing upon instead of drawing upon the individual resilience. Mm-hmm. which you were doing like, Hey, I got this or the plane, you know, you were, you're hearing from other people. Yeah. You're drawing upon their individual resilience. Smokey, tell me about the time you did this thing that was hard. And I tell yeah. you, uh-huh. and you're like, well, smoke, Smokey can fucking do that. I can do it, it, You don't even think it doesn't even work necessarily consciously. Right. So you could see that, what you're doing individually, the helper or the community is doing complementary. Yeah. And now you can see why a lot of self-care narrative, a lot of taking a break, a lot of burnout narrative, all these things at best aren't going to help you. And at worst, in my opinion, are kind of counterproductive. Well, and that's the to, – to, to go to the you know working on my roof thing. I think about because I've I've had some success with this. I've had some success where I there's certain fears that I have like suppressed or something. Like I've stopped being as afraid of the the fear is no longer a, a deciding factor in my decision making because of this kind of reframing. This kind of like yeah, pocketing like, and it's probably always useful to have the. Like, I don't want to reframe so completely that I just walk around on a roof all the time mm-hmm. without paying attention to what I'm doing, right? Because people do that and then they fall. And the reason that there's a reason that roofing is one of the most dangerous jobs in America. So I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I appreciate that, that you can do that. And then if it's a thing you're going to keep doing anyway, it becomes easier 
if you start handling it like and carefully, you know? Well, you don't want to give it too much. So why do we, why is it natural for us to take anxiety mm-hmm. or fear and focus on it? it, it it's somewhat evolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. It's a threat, right? It's supposed to draw your attention. Yeah. Right? It's supposed to draw your attention. And if you're not careful, it will draw your attention away from other things that are quieter, that that resiliency in the front row mm-hmm. you need to call on um, because they're not as flashy, right? So I don't yeah. think you have to worry about threat. You're right. You don't want to get to the point where you – and that's why I say pocket it as opposed to deny it, suppress it, argue okay. with it, uh, demolish it. I, I think it's good to have that little beep beep, beep, there's a threat, and then be like, okay, but I want to continue to do this. Let's hear from resiliency in the front row. What what do you have to tell me too? You have to not – what happens is we go into the weeds of the threat. Oh, so what – oh, I fall off and I compound fracture and I'm way (laughs) out here in the woods and no one's going to get me and my phone isn't charged. That's not what the original beep was. The original beep is like, you're high up on a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> this totally. seems unstable. This yeah. seems sketchy, right? Okay, got that. And then resilience says, yeah, you've done lots of sketchy stuff. You, you've ridden in the back of a pickup truck. That's sketchy. There's right. no seatbelt. There's nothing. You know, let me remind you that that you can overcome sketch. And mm-hmm. But by going into the anxiety, going into the fear, you're forcing yourself to justify the thing. And then it it becomes more and more elaborate. And it gets crazier and crazier very quickly. You know, all of a sudden you're bleeding out and you're cutting your leg off with a pen knife. (laughs) It's like, wait, wait, how, how did all this happen? Yeah. Well, and that's actually something that comes up a lot in terms of people interacting with this show and about like preparedness in general. Because in my mind, the point of paying attention to how to deal with forest fire while I live in the woods is not to then spend all of my time fantasizing and worrying about forest fire, but instead to compare it to this ladder. If I get this beep, beep, the ladder is unstable. I climb down, I stabilize the ladder as best as I can. And then I climb back up and I do the thing. And then when I think about like with fire, I'm like, okay, I have done the work to minimize the risk of fire. And so now I can stop thinking about it. Like Mm -hmm. I can listen to the little beep, beep noise and do the thing. And now I can ignore the beep, beep because just like literally when you're backing up a truck and it goes beep, beep, you're like, yeah, no, I know I'm backing up. Thanks. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, exactly. It's good to know. It's good to know you're not going forward. Yeah. Um, no, okay, this is interesting. And then the other thing that's really interesting about this, the the thing that you're presenting, is it means that in some ways, work that we present as very individual in our society, even in radical society, is actually community based on this idea. Like, so conquering phobias is something that we help one another do, it seems like. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the best stuff on all this stuff mm-hmm. is the people reverse engineering it to make people do dangerous, bad things. The military. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're probably I mean, pretty good at getting people to conquer phobias. Yep. They have a great sense of belonging. They mm-hmm. have a great sense of uh, pulling in internal resilience, group resilience, connecting to meaning, even when it's absolutely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're doing. It's all the dark side of what we're talking about, but it's quite effective and it literally wins wars. Yeah, that makes sense because you have this whole. And it I mean, literally changes history. Yeah. And so the good news is we can kind of reclaim that for what I think it was originally purposed to do. Uh, which is to protect us from the traumas that we had to go through in our evolutionary existence. 
And yeah. so we couldn't afford to have a whole bunch of us chronically disabled. Right. Uh, meaning unable to function. You know, they've just taken it and, and bent it a little bit and learned very deeply about it, how to how to use it for these things that really cause, you know, physical death and yeah. injury and 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 you know obviously they're not perfect you have a lot of trauma but not not as much as you would expect for what they do and every year they get better and better hooray yeah no, we have to get on top of our game yeah uh, and get people not to do what they do i'm not suggesting mm-hmm. reading well maybe reading military but not you can't use those tools to make people truly free and resilient yeah. in a healthy kind of way. Yeah. Okay. So if, in our three things, there's the holistic prepared resiliency thing. Then there's the immediate, the bad thing is happening first aid. Should we talk about what to do when the thing has, when you have the like, the injury, the mental injury of the trauma? Well, like with most injuries, it's rehab, right? Yeah. No, no, no. You just keep doing the thing and then hope it fixes itself. <laughs> Which is my approach to most medical oddities that happen as I get older. It's like, ah, I'm just, it'll fix itself. This tooth will grow back, right? The pain will go away, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like physical rehab, it does require two important aspects for all physical what we think of when someone says I have to go to rehab, physical mm-hmm. rehab, not not alcohol rehab or yeah. psych rehab, uh, is that there's two things that are happening. One is a understanding, a deep understanding of the injury, often mm-hmm. not by the person, but by the physical therapist, right? Yeah. That if they they know, oh, okay, this is a torn meniscus or this is this and i okay so i I understand the anatomy i understand the surgery that happened okay and then the second is short term not lifelong therapy Mm -hmm. not lifelong this or that short term techniques to usually strengthen muscles and other joints and things around the injury Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and that's what what I would call good recovery mm-hmm. after you already have the injury. It's not after mm-hmm. you've had the traumatic experience because traumatic experience doesn't necessarily cause right uh, a chronic injury, and we're trying to reduce the number of chronic injuries. But chronic right. injuries are going to happen. Chronic injuries already exist today. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people we know are walking around with chronic injuries that are impacting their ability to do what they want to do. And what, yeah. in my opinion, we need them to do because yeah. there's so much change that needs to happen. We need everybody as much as possible to be working at their ability. So wherever we can fix injury, we, we should. So, yeah. so one is where do I get an understanding of, how this injury impacts my life. And I think different cognitive psychology, I think CBT, DBT, these things are very, very good. I know what those are. Therapy but can you- in general, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy. These yeah. all come out of cognitive psychology from the 50s. Uh, our, our techniques... But most therapists use versions of this anyway. Mm -hmm. So just going to therapy, what it is doing initially is trying to, like the physical therapist, tell you, this is the injury you have. This is why it's causing you to limp or why you have weakness in your arm and wrist. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you some techniques to build up usually the muscles or whatever else needs to be built up around it. So you will be able to get more use Mm -hmm. out of your hand. 
And that is what we need to do with people that have this uh, chronic injury. Uh, so one is you need to find out how the injury is impacting. So I'm drinking more, I'm getting angry more, or I'm having trouble making relationships, or I'm having, and there's a series of, you know, 50 year old techniques to really kind of get down and, and see, okay, this injury is causing these things. That's how it's impacting me. And I don't want to drink more, or I want mm. to be able to sleep better, or I want to be able to focus, or I want to be able to have meaningful relationship with my partner or my children or whatever, whatever that is. Right. And then there, there are techniques and they're developing new techniques all the time. There's like EMDR, which is an eye thing that I don't fully understand. Uh, there DBT, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy has a lot of techniques that you kind of practice in groups. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, we have mutual aid self-therapy, MAST, mm -hmm. which is a, also a group where you're sharing uh, techniques uh, to build up these different things and resilience so and community and meaning and all those reframing, all those kinds of things. So, uh, but they shouldn't, despite the length of the injury, mm -hmm. how long you've been injured, how long you've been limping, and how much it's affected other parts of your your psychic body, in a way, these are things that still should be able to be uh, remediated mm -hmm. relatively quickly. That's exciting. Not overnight. Yeah. But this is not a lifelong thing. Now, that doesn't mean if you were traumatized as a child, for example, it's sort of like if you've completely shattered your wrist bone mm -hmm. and they put in pins and things like that, that wrist may never have the flexibility it did, the actual wrist bone, you know, the, the, the bones in the wrist. Mm -hmm. But by building up muscles and other things around it, you could then theoretically have full flexibility that you had before, right? right. But it's not the actual wrist bone. That, that injury is still there. You right. built up. And sometimes it's called strength-based approach or model where you're building up other strengths mm -hmm. you have to um, relieve the impact that that injury. So like a common thing with tr with uh, trauma is trust. My okay. trust is very damaged. My ability to trust others or trust certain environments or maybe trust myself, right? Yeah. And completely damaged. So if, if my, and that may never fully heal. Right. Okay. That's like my shattered wrist bone. So then by building up, let's say I, uh, I don't trust myself. I did something really fucked up myself, you know, psychologically, traumatically. But by building up trust in others and in, in the environment or other things, that can mediate that damage or vice versa. Uh, so so that's vice versa, like if you... Like if my problem is with trust of others or trust with strangers or trust with uh, friends, you know, I've been betrayed in a really mm -hmm. traumatic way by my mother or my father or an uncle or something like that, uh, then, you know, f building up my friendships to a really strong degree right. will reduce and eventually and hopefully erase the impact of that injury on the rest of my life. I'm not doomed to have um, dysfunctional relationships, lack of sleep, um, alcoholism, or whatever right. are the symptoms of that traumatic event, that chronic traumatic uh, event. Okay, so my, my next question is, and it's sort of a leading question. You mentioned MAST earlier. And I kind of want to ask, like, do we need specialists for all of this? Do we have people who both generalize and specialize in this kind of thing? Are there ways that, you know, we as a community can, like, 
get better at most of this stuff while then some of it like you know obviously people specializing in this remains useful like you need i want to say you need you do need specialists Mm -hmm. uh not for their knowledge per se so much as they're there for people that the injury has gone on so long that the resiliency, all those other things, they don't have a social network. They, they, they haven't had time uh, because the damage happened so early to build up those reserves that mm-hmm. that person in the front row, the front row, the seats are empty. Yeah. Um, th- that is, re- it's really great. We live in- now in other cultures, the specialists were probably shamans, mm-hmm. religious people, mentors, things like that, that said, okay, my role is to all therapy is self-therapy. Right. That was Carl Rogers. He was quite correct about that. Uh, the specialists you're talking about are the kind of stand in for people who don't have people to do that. I would argue all real therapy is probably community therapy. It's relational. Mm-hmm. So if you have friends, if you have community, if you have a place or places you find belonging, then theoretically, no, I don't think you need. I I think those groups, and I think most specialists would agree too, actually, those groups if they're doing this can actually do a much better job for that individual. Right. They know that individual and there's a natural affinity and there, there are other non specifically therapeutic benefits uh, for engaging and re-engaging in these things that have nothing to do with the injury that are just healthy Right. And good to you. So it's sort of like taking insure. Insure will keep you alive uh, <laughs> when you're you've had some surgery, you've had some really bad injury, or if you need saline solution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not suggesting people walk around with saline bags. Right. That that there there are better ways to get that, more natural ways to get that. And I'm not talking alternative. Right. Psychiatric or, you know, you take herbs instead of psychiatric medication. But there, there, there are better ways to do that. And I think, but I'm glad we have saline. Yeah. And I think it saves a lot of people's lives, but we would never give up the other ways to get nutrients <laughs> because right. there are other benefits to it. You know, sharing a meal with people is also a really good thing. And then even like from a, you know, the advantages of community, et cetera. I'm guessing it's not something that's like magically imbued in community. It's like something that communities need to actually learn these skills and develop. Like, I mean, there's a reason that, uh, well, you know, I I don't, I guess I'm reasonably open about this. I used to have like fairly paralyzing panic attacks and then it started generalizing. And then, you know, a, a very good cognitive behavioral therapist gave me the tools with which to start addressing that. And that wasn't something I was getting from, I did get it from my community in the end, but I got from a specific person in the community rather than like everyone already knows this or something. Well, I think what we're doing right here is, is real. I mean, people don't know. So yeah. they read, uh, people were trying to help you from yeah. your community, undoubtedly yeah. with the right intentions and the right motives, but without the information on what, actually works yeah and that's all that was happening there yeah totally. Uh, so it's really you know as cliche as it's uh, it, it's really about just giving people some basic tools that we already had at one time yeah <laughs> forgot became specialized so you know i'm throwing around cbt dbt emdr mm-hmm. none of that people can keep in their heads they won't the audience listening today are not going to remember all those things and right. nor do they have to. Right. <laughs> uh, but they have to know that, you know, reconnecting to the horse, 
but not mm-hmm. telling people to get back on the horse, the kind of tough love mm-hmm. kind of thing isn't going to work, but neither is the self-care, take a bubble bath. Never see a horse again, I, run from Never a see a horse again. We're not even going to talk about horses. Let's go do something else. Isn't going to work either. And I think once we, you know, it's not brain science, though it is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, it is pretty you know, these are, and you look at how uh, religions do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at how the military does this. You look at how like fascists mm-hmm. do this. You know, all sorts of groups, communities can do this fairly effectively. And it doesn't cost money, it's not expensive. You don't have to be highly educated or read all the science to be able to do that. And people naturally try, but I think a lot of the self-help kind of gets in the way. And so people think they know, okay, well, this is what needs to happen because I saw an Oprah. Yeah. Kind of well, I mean, actually, that's one of the main takeaways that's coming from me is I've been, I've been thinking a lot about my own mental health first aid on a fairly individual basis, right? Um, you know, even though it was community that helped me find the means by which to pull myself out of a very bad mental space than that I was in for a lot of years, but I, I still, in, in the end was kind of viewing it as like, ah, someone else gave me the tools and now it's on me. It's like this individual responsibility to take care of myself. And, and so that's like one of the things that I'm taking as a takeaway from this is learning to be interreliant. There isn't enough research on it, again, because of our individualistic nature and probably because of variables. But there's certainly tons of anecdotal evidence. And having done this for a long time, talking to people and how the place I work is particularly set up, helping others is a really great way to help yourself. Yeah. It really works. It's very, I mean, obviously in the Greeks, you know, you have the wounded healer kind of concept. Many indigenous traditions have said this much better than Mm -hmm. in the Western. And I believe they have, and they needed to, but they had a much better kind of understanding of these things that we're, we're, we're talking about. Uh, You know, it, so, where people can, and I've heard this podcast or your podcast too, talking about this ability to be, uh, you know, have self-efficacy, uh, but it's more than self-efficacy. It's really helping others. Yeah. Uh, and that that is really powerful, and there's not enough research on that. And I think that's why support groups, I think that's why, you know, AA, despite all its problems, mm-hmm. has spread all over the world and has been around for, you know, 75 years and is not going to go away anytime soon, despite some obvious problems. Mm-hmm. With, is there's that, there's that, they hit upon that, they, they rediscovered something that we always <laughs> kind of knew. Yeah. Okay, well, we're coming out of time. We're running out of time. Uh, are there any last thoughts, things that I should have asked you? I mean, there's a ton we can talk about this, and I'll probably try and have you on to talk about more specifics in the near future. But is there anything anything I'm missing? No, I think I think just reemphasizing the end piece that you know, for people that have resources, communities, meaning social network, you know, that is worth investing your time and your energy into because that's going to build your, if you want to get psychologically strong, Mm -hmm. that is the easiest and the best investment. Put down the self-help book, call your friend, you know, um, don't, search Google for the symptoms of this, that, or the other (laughs) thing, connect to what's important 
to you. And then lastly, try to help others or help the world in some way. And those are going to be profound and effective ways to build long-lasting resilience yeah. as an individual, as a community. We should design our communities around that. Yeah. All right. Well, that seems like a good thing to end on. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug? Like, I don't know, books about mutual aid self-therapy or anything like that? I want to plug community. That's all okay. I want to plug. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. Well, it's nice talking to you and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell people about it. Actually, I mean, honestly, if you enjoyed this episode in particular, like think about it and think about reaching out to people um, and who needs to be reached out to and who you need to reach out to and how to build stronger communities. But if you want to support this podcast, you can tell people about it and you can tell the internet about it and you can tell the algorithms about it, but you can also tell people about it in person. And you can also support it by supporting the uh, by supporting Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness, which is the people who produce this podcast. It's a uh, anarchist publishing collective that I'm part of, and you can support it on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness. And if you support at pretty much any level, you get access to some stuff. And if you support at $10, you'll get a zine in the mail. And if you support at $20, you'll get your name read at the end of episodes. Um, like, for example, Hoss the Dog and Micaiah and Chris and Sam and Kirk, Eleanor, Jennifer, Starro, Cat J, Chelsea, Dana, David, Nicole, Mickey, Paige, SJ, Sean, Hunter, Theo, Boise Mutual Aid, Malika, and Papa Runa. And that's all. And we will talk to you soon. And um, I don't know. I hope you all are doing as well as you can.